Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as co-host of at Triple J Drive at Triple J VL and wear wigs on at Matters Hell TV. My name is not Veronica, but I have answered to less relevant names. My views are my own. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Veronica Milsom. Hey, lovely to be here. Although I don't find, I actually don't think I'm very active on Twitter, but I appreciate that you, uh, you know, brought me along pretending that I am. Let's just say that you are, Veronica. In social <laughs> settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, in social settings, uh, like as in the uh, Bridget Jones kind of way. Mm. Well, I guess, did you understand that reference, by the way? I did, Oh, yes. yeah, cool, cool, cool. I wasn't sure if you were just yes-ending me. Um, <laughs> I probably, I, I always feel weird saying I'm an actor because I, um, I think I say I work at Triple J. In fact, I just come from a function, Steve. Um, I, I won't lie, I'm drinking a red wine right now from a dirty cup. And uh, I think I said there, oh, yeah, I work at Triple J. And then it usually takes people a little while to go, oh, you're Veronica from Veronica and Lewis. But I don't really ever say that I'm an actor because I always feel like I um, never went to acting school so I can't claim it. Like it's it's like this ongoing uh, thing in my brain where I think I don't quite deserve to be an actor because I didn't do uh, three years of acting school because I could never get in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's more or less how it works in terms of the job that I have and how I introduce myself. Doesn't getting paid for acting mean that you're an actor? It does. It does mean you're a professional actor. There's no doubt about that. But um, <laughs> it's it's a funny because I've never really um, – I haven't done too many serious acting roles. I've only done ones where I wear a wig and be ridiculous. <laughs> and, in yes. fact, I did uh, uh, audition once for one of the big casting agencies called um, Mulliners. Like it's a real mm. – like when you go for a general casting call there, you want to nail that shit. Um, and I went and did a monologue, which was the most recent one that I knew at the time. Um which was from Ben Elton live from planet earth when I did that. Excellent. <laughs> yes. And, um, they, the woman looked at me, she was an older lady, maybe in her sixties. She looked at me, was like silent for quite some time. And she said, do you call that acting? hundred <laughs> percent. And I nearly like, I was like, Oh, I mean, I guess I could do something else. Uh, and I panicked. This is probably like four or five years ago. I don't know. Is that when Ben Elton was? I don't know. But um, it was humiliating and I haven't got a job with them since. <laughs> <laughs> Do you call that acting? That's that's very direct. Yeah, it was pretty confronting actually. I did a – the monologue that I did for them was this sex therapist uh, character that was really – you know, she was had quite an abrasive way and – had this awful American accent and yeah I probably I just made it it was a misjudgment to have done it but I was a fool and uh you know will be punished so in the grand scheme of things though it hasn't necessarily hurt your career no things have been going okay I mean I've never got a job through a casting agency so 
it's mostly through people that I um, have met and developed a relationship with and stuff. But, yeah, Mad as Hell was a really fun gig and like a dream job getting to work with McAuliffe because mm-hmm. um, he's just a legend and someone who I'd always looked up to uh, in the comedy world growing up. But, um, yeah, and there's been lots of fun opportunities since to work with great people. Who would you consider, apart from Sean McAuliffe, some of the most fun people to work with? Oh, well, recently I worked with Steen Raskopoulos on a Mm. uh, series, like a web series thing, making it for ABC iView. And Mm -hmm. he's great fun because he, his improv just knows no bounds. He's, he's, he's a really fun, fun, supportive performer too. Like you could do anything and you know that he's got your back kind of thing. Yes. He's great. Um, but otherwise, I was thinking the other day, actually, because the Just for Laughs Festival is on at the moment, mm. um, and I, for the Just for Laughs Gala, was the voice side of stage. So I would, you know, do the housekeeping and uh, say that so-and-so was coming up and do little, like, weird quips about, oh, you know, Celia Piccola, how good was that? You had a laugh and you learned what fingering was or something. <laughs> like actually, oh, no, I said and, and you learned what a wristy was, which felt pretty weird to be doing that to the concert hall at the Opera House. But that um, – They were overdue. Yeah, right. They they should have known that a long time ago. Um, yeah. And that was the first time I'd been done anything at the Opera House since the previous time at a Just for Laughs Festival where I was on stage with Martin Short uh, where I was acting as a giant mute blow-up sex doll. And he was pretty weird to work with, like yes. so quick on the fly. Like I didn't have, barely had any rehearsal time with him, but it was a sketch with just the two of us where he was um, on a date with me and I was a blow-up sex doll. And so he was kind of giving me directions as we were performing, which was really weird. But that was quite fun. How does that gig come about? I mean, Martin Short's not a nobody. Yeah, it's weird actually. So the thing was I did an audition just to be as a part of the troupe that were working with John Cleese, who was the MC that year. Yes. And he was he had like an elaborate sketch idea that was going to be the finale for the night because the whole thing was about how his wife had robbed him of so much money. And so I was playing like wife number three or something. <laughs> And just like an incredible opportunity to work with John Cleese and do rehearsals with him and stuff. That was pretty cool. And actually, bizarrely, Stephen Hall, who also worked on Mad as Hell, um, was in that same sketch before, you know, this was years before Mad as Hell started. But I got to know him then. He flew up from Melbourne just for the opportunity to work with John Cleese and get paid like a measly amount of money. But um. Yeah, and then they said, oh, you look like you could be fine playing a sex doll. Do you mind doing another sketch with Martin Short? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, And so we had like half an hour's rehearsal and then just did it. Because it it was sort of, you know, it's a travelling show. He just picks up a lady in every city he's in and just gets them to be a sex doll. I'll bet he does. So, I'll bet he does. Yeah, I bet, yeah. And I so like he's tiny. I was like double his height, which was <laughs> odd. Um, but you're not a short lady to start with. You're quite statuesque. I am a, a very tall lady, so I'm 180 centimetres. Wow. Mm. Has that caused you any problems either in your career or just being a human? Yeah. Oh, definitely. 
it's caused me like um it, well I looked back at um footage the other day of me playing sport with other kids and I look like a big giraffe with giant breasts <laughs> I have always like I developed way uh younger than heaps of other people was like I did calisthenics growing up and I was always the big girl at the back like wearing a leotard with these like enormous boobs and stuff (laughs) it's really weird it's really weird and gross um when you look back at shit like that but um yeah so I think it caused me only issues in terms of um feeling like I was weird and gangly and obvious growing up but then career-wise I'm not sure that it has I don't think so. Like, uh, certainly not in radio. That hasn't been an issue. <laughs> but in acting work, um, nah. I just haven't even been considered for that many acting gigs in the first place in order to for it to rule me out for that many. Do you are you comfortable in your skin now? Have you grown into your body? Yeah, I still don't wear heels very – like, I'm not really. Probably not, no. Like, I, I do sometimes notice people who are really comfortably uh, tall, but I don't really think I'm like that because I don't want to stand out heaps. Um, I feel like I'm getting more and more like that. You know, like, my mum is – a difference between my mum and my dad. My dad is such a show pony, loves being the centre of attention. My mum is way more in the background – would hate to have a party or something. I feel like I'm going more in that direction, like in the social mm. side of things. Like I would way more be in the background and have no one notice me. What about you, Steve? I'm, uh, um, I'm like your dad. Oh, you're the show pony. How tall are you? Oh, not very. I think I've got 176, 178 on my license. Oh yeah. What? That's, a, that's not on your license, is it? Your height. Is it? It was it was when I originally got it? I can't remember since then. Mind you, I got my license a while ago. Yeah, right. So you're the guy who would love to have a party and love to have people gathering around while you tell a story. Oh, I'm so needy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I feel like the there's less and less of um, the, the people that would love to, you know, be heard. As maybe it's just the groups I walk around in. What makes you smile? Um, uh, I find Lewis to be really funny. I laugh a lot at work, not necessarily mm. even on air, but actually <laughs> um, behind the scenes. My brother and my sister I find very uh, amusing just because we're totally on the same page. Obviously my husband, Nick Hayden, who's sitting next to me listening to this, don't say um, it out loud, he'll hear you. But who I, he totally is hearing me. And he just did like a look over to me as if like, what, I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, lots of things make me smile. I like just even walking on my way to work. I um, love listening to music and getting in a zone and just watching people. Mm. There's these two, there's these great two people who, are hopeless at playing music. I don't know if anyone's listening who's walked through the Sydney Central Tunnel and they like right near as you go through toward the, the ABC, there's this, I don't even know if they're lovers. Like I think they're just friends from church or something. 
and they're awful at playing music and they play they try out a whole bunch of different instruments and they make me happy every day as I walk by because they're just filled with joy. And I don't know how the fuck they have time to be there. Like they seem to be unemployed and that they just <laughs> busk and play music every day but don't ever seem to earn any money. They might be on mission. Or on a sweet pension of some sort and they just like <laughs> bring joy to people by playing weird, you know, instruments weirdly in the central tunnel. I'll have to come and check them out. Yeah, I'll give you a tour. I've actually been meaning to, because we did a thing recently on the radio um, where we were talking about, like, have you ever made friends with a stranger on the street? Because mm. Lewis's housemate, Kirk, does it all the time. It actually went really badly on the radio. No one had any stories. But um, I, I thought, oh, fuck, we should try to make friends with them. Like every time I walk past, I think, oh, I should make friends with those strangers on the street. And um chat to them about what their story is. I'm sure I will eventually, but like to to know the backstory of why they're doing what they're doing and, yeah. If nothing else, their reason or what facilitates them to be there every day would be interesting enough, right? Exactly, yeah. And like how they choose their set list, how, what makes them smile kind of thing. That would be what I'd be intrigued to know. Who decides if, if it's a ukulele day mm. or a guitar day? Yeah, I and mean, fuck it, they might be on Twitter. Steve, you should get them on next. This challenge has been laid out. <laughs> yeah, I do not know what their names are. I'll find out. Please do. Please report back. The Sydney Tunnel musicians need to be interviewed. If you're listening, get in touch. <laughs> Reach out to us. Call, <laughs> I don't know, call Triple J. That's yeah. a start. Yeah, it's a good start. What do you do really well? Um, oh, I don't know. Not much. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's like the – is that the most common answer? The uh, boring answer, isn't it? People, uh, like I, I'm very – People like to – I don't know. I, I won't say that it's, a, it's a, an uncommon answer. More than anything, it's interesting for – what you perceive you do well. Yeah, I think I uh, have always been of the opinion that I'm not particularly good at anything, but I try very hard. And I don't think that's me being modest at all. I think it's me being like incredibly self-aware. I often listen to myself talking on the radio and think, fuck, I can't talk. Like I can actually, not only do I not know much about anything, I actually am not even very good at expressing my, my <laughs> like opinions or being articulate. And I think that I get by um, by just being very determined. So I think my determination is probably something I'm very good at. And I'm also incredibly competitive. Like I can't – I don't watch much comedy because it makes me um, get it like a bit anxious to be, that I'm not doing it and I should be doing it kind of thing, particularly Australian comedy. Like I, I watch it and I sort of sit there and think, oh, fuck, I should be doing something, I should be making something, uh, which is not great. But I love to watch a drama because I think, oh, I could never do that. I can relax while I watch this. What's the most recent drama that you watched that you enjoyed? Oh, I watched Fargo last night, second season, first episode. It's just so good, isn't it? It's so, so good. good. Yeah, it's like it couldn't be much better. I actually 
watch it and like we'll say out loud a bunch god yes that's so good the dialogue is great how they just will be going about their business talking about inane shit and it's a really interesting <laughs> insight in the characters the way it's shot is beautiful yeah. the suspense the storytelling the, the, the way that the characters are depicted is really beautiful but otherwise like um since moving to sydney so i moved to sydney like six years ago uh did th- four weeks training for this tv show hungry beast which is why i moved to sydney from melbourne mm. met nick in the first week um who i'm now married to met him because he was working on hungry beast in the training he like gave me eyes at a karaoke night and wouldn't let me go and it was really awkward and then i was like <laughs> okay sure i'll move in with you yeah i'll marry you and then the rest is history but i hadn't seen anything tv wise before i met nick and now um i've seen everything there is to see ever um because he's a maniac that has already seen like Oz four times or the West Wing, you know, a bunch of times. Um, and, uh, and and he like religiously makes sure he keeps up with everything that comes out. So I sort of follow Nick's lead and now I seem to see everything. <laughs> it's been a real TV transition for me. What prompted that initial uh, audition to, to go get involved with Hungry Beast? Well, I was – so I uh, studied creative arts at Melbourne Uni straight out of school, Did mm-hmm. majored in theatre and was pretty determined to be an actor but sort of thought there's no way I can actually get acting work because it's just ridiculous and I'm quite rational-minded person, I imagine, I think. And um, so I thought, oh, perhaps I can get work in radio or as like a TV presenter. You know, everyone has the dream of working on Getaway. So um, so I wanted to get something where I could get a job and work my way up, not in, in acting that seems so much harder to yeah. do the hard yards and get a role unless you worked as an extra or something. But even then that doesn't really work like that, you know, unless you do a lot of short films and shit for free. But anyway, so I, I went to Whopper and did a year there as a grad dip um, in broadcasting and from there got a job in radio. I worked at Nova for a little while in Perth and then I still had this dream of um, doing acting but combining it somehow with broadcasting. So I created this character called Victoria Dynamite um, where I created some skits about being a fake news presenter because that was mostly what I learned at WAPA was how to be a news presenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I And it always felt like so dicky. It felt like it wasn't didn't sit naturally with me to take myself so seriously and report news stories and put on a voice and almost a character as a news presenter and for it not to be a joke. So <laughs> I um, I created this like fake news presenter, like a current affair, affairs presenter and uh, ended up just submitting that as an audition tape for this Andrew Denton production, which I learned about through uni. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, – Denton loved the character. I actually did an interview for like it was a grueling process. It was a cattle call essentially with thousands of people. They whittled it down to I think it was 60 people that they interviewed. The interviews went for three hours each where you had like a 
challenge that you had to do within that three hours to write and record a story where you were locked in a room with a couple of props. Um, it was really stressful. And the, in the interview was Denton and Andy Neal and all these really scary, um, you know, intimidating people. And did that and um, I actually, Denton's told me years later that I was quite bad in that whole interview process. So he, which is the reason he let, he came back to me and he said, oh, I really want you to be in this Hungry Beast team but I just, your interview wasn't very strong. Can you provide me with another Victoria Dynamite story to justify why you should be there? So I did this other story about um, Second second Life. Is that what it's called? What's that fucking? Yeah, Second Life. Yep. And um, about that, where that's where employment opportunities were online or something. Uh, I can barely remember. This is a very long time ago. But... Uh, he loved it and then he wanted the Victoria Dynamite character to be a reoccurring character every week and it always sat weirdly on the show. I always felt weird about it. But, you know, that was it was a, such a bizarre mix of the acting and the broadcasting thing coming together mm. for a first TV gig. It was pretty cool. I remember, as I'm sure many of, of the people listening do, remember Hungry Beast very, very fondly. Uh, and it was a real incubator for some incredible talent, yourself included, um, that now are doing some pretty amazing things yeah. in the world of media, or not just in Australia, but around the world. Yeah, particularly Pat Clare, who's you know got an Emmy, and that you know there's some really impressive stuff and people who've come out of it. It was, I feel like it's very fondly remembered, but at the time it. It, it, like it people didn't love it on the internet but even then like I'm a I'm one of the um the people who run the Facebook page still there's a bunch of us who like we don't post anything mm. but I get a weekly update of how many people uh have been participating in conversations on the Facebook page and how many people are liking it and it's weird how many people are still liking the Facebook page it's odd. But is that people living large on the nostalgia of it though? Yeah, maybe. Or people discovering things because I think, you know, a lot of the content still lives on YouTube. So there's things like, a, you know, a backstory of Google mm. or a backstory of Ikea or there's lots of um, amazing graphic pieces that have, I think, brought people back to the Facebook page. Well, all, Hungry Beast was one of the first almost entirely – uh, shareable by pieces show, wasn't it? Yeah. I've, I don't know. I've never really thought about it like that. But, yeah, it definitely was very shareable by pieces. Like, And I think if it, if it existed now, it would be pretty crazy online. Mm. Like it was a lot of the pieces we did were kind of difficult to get through legals and obviously not the ones I did. They were ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the investigative journalists... Uh, and stuff where, you know, there was things that were very much on um, the edge of, you know, being too investigative and, like, uncovering secrets and stuff. So I think, yeah, they would definitely be shareable. And even then, like, some of the comedy clips now I see getting uh, shared around, mostly because Dan Illick secretly sees them. <laughs> <laughs> but like that, we did a musical version of... Um, 
like a, a Canberra the Musical it was yes, called. Yes, you did. Yeah, and then I someone like tagged me in that the other day and it has heaps of views on Facebook. I was like, this is so weird. I should have tried harder. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it would be incredible to see a show like that now. But actually the I think the reality is it would be way too expensive. Like it was an expensive show then and it would be a very expensive show now in terms of just what the ABC can do because it, it had so many people working on it. It had mm. 21 reporters or whatever it was. But you were all paid five bucks a show. That's true. We were all very poorly paid. There's no doubt about that. Although when I first got the gig, I was like, ooh, boy, shit, I have hit the big time. <laughs> TV <'Cause>, money. <laughs> totally because I was like, um, you know, casual at a radio station working a couple of days a week and I was like, a salary? Are you fucking kidding me? And then now I like look at it and I'm like, well, we worked a lot of hours for some pretty shit pay. <laughs> but I think that's just the transition you have when you're, you know, in your 20s, right? Yeah, look, the 20s are a crazy time when you get, you know, real dollars start to fall into your bank account. Yeah, exactly. Veronica, how do you deal with the haters? Uh, yeah, we got a couple of, we got a bit of hating on the Facebook, Triple J Facebook page, Lewis mm-hmm. and I. Um, and it's a funny thing, isn't it, where you... I often don't know that they even exist until Mm -hmm. people contact us via Twitter and say, hey, ignore what everyone's saying on the Triple J Facebook. We love you or whatever. And you're like, what? What's everyone saying? And then so you go and investigate and you go, oh, what's this guy said? No, that's not very nice. Um, It's the sheer numbers is what does it. So I think when you rationally think about it and you go, oh, there's – 76 people have liked this post saying Veronica and Lewis suck, you know, they're the worst radio presenters. And there's 800,000 people like the page. It's not so bad, you know. And Mm. you see how many people have liked the post and you see how many views it's had and you're like, oh, well, maybe not so bad. But the the reality of it is that uh, you do think about it. It sits with you totally. And it's kind of shitty even to admit it, but it's true. Like it... If you're having an off day, particularly on a Monday or a Tuesday when you're like, hmm. when will the weekend ever be back again? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it definitely uh, is something that sits with you and it makes you think, oh, maybe I am shit and everyone hates me and maybe we're not funny. And it, the thing is it's so counterproductive because when you think you're not funny, then you're not. So, yeah. and when you think that you uh should like get back in your box and you don't you sound insecure and you don't sound likable and all that sort of stuff but like I think that it's really brutal a triple j for sure because and rightly so because people feel so attached to the station and to the history of the station and the people there and the music and that's the beauty of it but it also comes with um people hating on you I guess like particularly the text line is not so bad because there's actually some really beautiful people that reach out and say hey guys just wanted to let you know love the show keep it up you brighten up my drive home or something and you're like oh shit you didn't have to text that in you're Mm. a fucking sweetheart and you you know then it's 
the great thing is that we get to read every single text and when there's really lovely ones that come in, you go, oh, restores my faith in humanity. Aren't the people lovely? They certainly can be. Mm, yeah. How do you deal with haters? Do you have haters? Oh, I'm sure I do. Normally they're people who are above me though and tend to be gatekeepers. So I just make my own enemies Ooh. and deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty unavoidable if you have an opinion uh, in the world or, you know, in the online world, I think. Definitely. I think as soon as you start putting out, I think this, or this is a a truth or an interpretation of the facts uh, in a reasonable kind of fashion, like not even getting into the wild or or unreasonable side of things, Mm. uh, there will be person or persons that decide you are the spawn of all things bad and should be told so yeah yeah and luckily uh not yeah I think it depends sort of which day you catch a person on sometimes it could not affect me and then other days I'm like no I want to fucking go on holidays what am I doing all this for I hate myself you know like Mm. and I'm, I'm definitely not a person that's prone to those sorts of feelings but I think, um, you know, it all just depends on the day, really. What do you do to climb on top of that to get to get out of that funk? Uh, sometimes at work I go for a walk to the seventh floor and stand, like get some fresh air and usually call Nick mm. and then say, what are you doing? And then <laughs> and he goes, I'm really busy. And I go, I'm feeling bad. And he'll go, oh, okay. And then he lets me like debrief my feelings or something. <laughs> um, but uh, what else do I do? Uh, I love doing things like, um, like I got some bad news yesterday about a project that I had worked very hard on that didn't uh, come to any fruition, which was annoying, but... Uh, that's life. Um, and I decided that I would do some crafting. So I like to get out um, my excellent bits of paper and make cards. So I, I think this is actually weirdly a strategy, which is going to sound so fucked. But I kind of sometimes when I get to in my own brain, because this is a ridiculous industry where you get so caught up in your own bullshit Mm. um I started to write thank you cards and uh Christmas cards so (laughs) and I it's like nice to do things where you go oh yeah it's not about all my shit it's you know there's lots of other lovely things so I like was my birthday recently so I wrote it um birthday cards and I've written some Christmas cards already which is ridiculous because it's like two months six oh no two months yeah sure it's only a couple and that when this comes out it'll have just been so oh fuck sorry no no the timeline's all over the place that's that's Mm. beside the point you're preparing for next year you're so organized i'm trying to be it's it's Mm. a it's a discipline i'm trying to have no no when everyone's listening to this they'll be all festive and i'm just down in the dumps waiting for the festivity to happen how do you like to celebrate public holidays? Um, I haven't had one in a long time. Just because uh, of work? Yeah, yeah. Because of TV work, they don't give you them. Oh. So a lot of public holidays I've done, um, like, oh, I remember Melbourne Cup, I was 
fuck, was I working on? Yeah, I was. Last year, Melbourne Cup, I was working on Mad as Hell because I remember everyone was a bit dirty about it. Um, and otherwise, yeah, this time, this summer, I'm really looking forward to going overseas for a long time and hopefully I'll um, head to the States, I think, because uh, Nick and I are – because we eloped in the States, we got married and he's American, so I've got a green card. We've got a touchdown every now and again. Mm. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing this summer and that's how I'll spend those public holidays. But otherwise, um, yeah, I don't really get them. They don't really happen. I, I like vicariously enjoy them through other people on the radio. And I, the biggest thing I've learned about um, doing radio on public holidays is that when it's Anzac Day, you're not allowed to say happy Anzac Day because <clears throat> you mm. get a fucking barrage of texts going, do you know what Anzac Day is? And you go, oh, yeah. No. Can mm. you say Merry Christmas or reference that? Yes, but you're uh, definitely supposed to be also like, hap- no, you're supposed to say happy holidays kind of vibe. Uh, as in very inclusive, you don't have to be Christian, uh, although it just ends up happening, right? Not that I'm Christian, but mm. um, people celebrate Christmas. It's definitely a thing. It's unavoidable. It's the festive season. David Jones, EB Games, they celebrate Christmas. That's right. They they bloody love it. And I know as well as anyone because I used to be Santa's elf. <gasps> of course you were. Yeah, of course I was a big one. <laughs> um, but not at David Jones. That would have been a classy elf. No, I was a bogan one at Maya. Oh, bogan elf. <laughs> was was that uh, a high school job or a university job? That was a uni job, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that was a crazy time. Um, but it was fun because you got to work with kids and just make sure they uh, weren't crying in the photo. So there was a lot of like – you know, look over here, I'm dancing, check me out, I'm dancing. And it was kind of well paid. And I, the worst bit uh, about it was, though, the one year I called in uh, sick on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. And I was, I was very hungover. That was the real reason. But the fake reason was that I told them that I broke my arm. And then I spent like the rest of the summer paranoid that I was going to run into someone from the job. Did you? I did not, thankfully, but I was ducking and weaving. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) Like ready at any point to pretend my arm was like in a sling and going really badly. Yeah, no, the cast just got wet and it fell off. (laughs) Right? It's it's actually healed. It's fine now. It's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) Yeah, right, totally. Veronica, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? And... I think it's just the radio is the main priority. Oh, you know what I'm going to achieve? And this will be out of date by the time this goes to air, I mean, or goes to release, is um, a Christmas pantomime. Excellent. Yeah. So I've always loved pantomimes. I've been in a bunch of amateur pantomimes when I was at uni. And it's always been a fantasy uh, to make a nativity pantomime and um I told a friend of mine who I worked with hungry on hungry beast and I know that he loves pantomimes and he's directed some in the past and I said oh what do you think of this idea of us writing together a nativity pantomime and he was like I'm in so I sort of story 
I worked out the storylines and he's written it up. His name is Nick, Nick McDougall. Mm. And um, the and then I approached my friend Christy from Triple J, KLP, and she said that she would really love to. She's also a musical theatre, you know, closeted lover. She said she'd love to make the original music and Jim Finn from Art vs Science has said that he wanted to do it. So now um, we're like six weeks out and we've, created totally original songs and an original script and we've got like 11 cast members and it's going to be a wild time. That is awesome. It's. I think it really will be. I'm actually pretty happy with the script. It's so funny and it's very rude. I was kind of thinking about, I was like, oh, maybe I'll bring it to the Melbourne Comedy Festival and I was like, nah, it's fucking Easter by then. But Easter? Ooh, maybe it's still Jesus relevant. Uh, I think it's all too difficult with the amount of cast, but it would be really fun to try to take it to the UK where they're real panto lovers or mm. do something like that. But that's going to be a really fun project that I've been working on for a little while now and which is going to take a mammoth effort uh, while Triple J is happening at the same time. But the reality of Triple J is that um, and it's been a really weird transition between full-time and freelance is that there really isn't time for heaps of other stuff. Mm. Like even writing and doing this pantomime is heaps of effort before and after work as well as, you know, this fresh blood thing that I've been doing with Steen. Mm. A lot of like it's been really hard going doing that as well as full-time work. So uh, it is definitely tough doing projects outside radio but I'll I think I'm just going to try to focus on radio for the next 12 months and um keep a couple of performing things on the side hopefully get a couple of acting jobs we'll see well it would be excellent to see you back on the small screen that is for sure yeah it would be fun wouldn't it who mm-hmm. can we talk to to make that happen uh, casting agencies <laughs> oh no the ones that go is that did you call that acting <laughs> Um, but there's, oh, there is something that I'm working on recently that I'm doing for someone. What the fuck is that? Hmm. I don't know. There's, there's always little things that you do which pop up and then I sort of vaguely forget about. It's, it's really difficult to, um, find the hours outside of, um, mm-hmm. the nine till six in order to, do any sort of acting work. But Mad as Hell is coming back, but, of course, I can't be a part of it, unfortunately. You can't because of the job or you can't because you've ruled yourself out or there's awkward photos? <laughs> um, well, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. No, it's just because one job is based in Sydney and one's job in, is mm. based in Melbourne. Um, but we saw the result in that Sean McAuliffe sketch of, you know, how disappointed he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's such a great – guys, check that out. That's it's going to be somewhere probably on the, the Triple J, Veronica and Lewis page where Sean's in promoting the XPM uh, and uh, he sits down with Veronica and Lewis, goes to a song and what happens during the song and then how that plays out on air. It's a delightful sketch, very, very funny. Not real but funny. Yeah, and but it actually was very because we didn't script any of it all. I, we just said, "Oh, hey, Sean, would you be interested in doing this thing?" We were thinking you'd be annoyed. You and Lewis have a fight. That was it. <laughs> and it, there was it got really heated, and Sean actually felt weird about it afterwards. He texted me and he said, "Hey, I feel like that seems 
a bit too weird because I don't know Lewis well enough. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, no, it's it's all right. I don't. I think it'll be fine. But yeah, it, we cut out a lot of. There was a lot of like back and forth insults that were got cut. That got too personal, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, God, he's so good to see just like on the fly. And I, Lewis was doing the exact same face that I used to do when I um, first started working with Sean, which is where you're smiling a little bit the whole time in like a Jerry Seinfeld kind of way because mm. you're a bit nervous and excited to be acting alongside him. You're mm. like, you almost feel like a spectator, but you and you forget that you're supposed to be in it. Yes, and it's happening, and yeah. then you realise that like someone else cut, and you go, "Oh, was that the take?" Oh, damn it! I was just watching. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Veronica, thank you so much for sharing what you have. It's it's very lovely, and 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 the things that you shared are very important. Please know that you are highly valued, and uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. And um, sorry if I just talked a bunch of bullshit, but uh, that's me, I guess. It's totally great. Now, very clearly you are on Twitter. We've established this. Mm-hmm. Are there any other social accounts that you want to admit to? Oh, I don't have a Tinder. So that's what you're saying, or a grinder yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> but I do have Periscope, which I have not yet logged into. Uh, no, I'm in, on Instagram, but um, I barely do anything, honestly. I find this whole social media business quite stressful, um, mainly because I just have to do fucking triple j's as well as my own personal one as well as the record as well as you know um but (laughs) yes twitter or instagram or facebook all of them i love it it's all there and out for people to to hunt you down on yeah yeah awesome this has been humans of twitter and i can confirm that at v milsom is in